Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com provides tools for architects, designers, and construction professionals to discover, discuss, and specify products for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Tom Dioro. Thank you, Shay, for our guest today. Please welcome Mark Jacobson, Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Stanford University and Director of its Atmosphere and Energy Program. Mark also is engaged in the Solutions Project, which advocates a transition to a 100% renewable energy world. For more information, uh, profiles.stanford.edu slash mark-jacobson and thesolutionsproject.org. Hello, Mark. We're excited and honored for you to be on The Modern Architect today. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Mark. Mark, can you share with us how long you've been um, how long you've been so committed to better understanding air pollution and climate change problems and developing large-scale clean renewable energy solutions? That might be a lot, but um, please pick up where you feel uh, yeah. Well, I've been working on clean and renewable, well, air pollution itself and okay. climate change uh, ever since the mid-1980s. And I started at Stanford in 1994 after doing a Ph.D. studying uh, air pollution in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I really became interested in not only air pollution, but I was also long long interested in climate. And then Renewable Energy Solutions started around uh, 1999 or so. Okay. And so I've been developing uh, since then clean and renewable energy solutions to our problems of air pollution and global warming and energy security. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while. Now, did this start just then, or was it something even, um, I like to go back to even even if it, if you were, uh, when you were, uh, when you were yeah. younger, did, did, did you see signs of it kind of? Oh, yeah. No, I knew okay. what I wanted to do when I was a teenager. I was, uh, <laughs> I used to play tennis, and uh-huh. uh, I would travel down to Los Angeles and San Diego in the 1970s, and uh, it was so polluted there, you <laughs> wow. couldn't even see, yeah. you know, further than a few build- buildings down, and the it would really scratch your throat and hurt your eyes. And yeah, and I thought, wow, people should not li- have to live like this. And I thought, you know, this would be something that I'd really like to uh, yeah. w- work on when I'm older. 
and lo and behold, this is what I'm <laughs> ending great. up doing. <laughs> so you would literally you'd you'd go down, uh, you'd have your tennis tournaments. You'd go to Southern California, and were there times you could even see just even across, uh, you know, to your opponent where you could see in behind them was just that haze. Yeah, in okay. fact, it was so bad that you sometimes you could not even see more than two courts down, and it was on a uh, sunny day. Yeah, yeah, okay. a sunny. Day, because, especially sunny days, because that's oh. when the smog gets cooked up by yeah. the sun. Yeah, in the presence of all the emissions, <laughs> so you couldn't see two courts down. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, or very very hazy, you know, barely see figures and yeah. And, and then people would get sick. I mean, they'd throw up sometimes on the courts, and I mean, these are because you're running really hard in this, yeah. in this really smoggy air that's really scratching your throat and damaging your lungs, and uh, and some people would just would get sick on the court. Yeah. So uh, looking back, that was what, when you were teens or even earlier? Yeah, I was like 16, 17 years old and even okay. earlier. So you you had an idea, this is, something's got to be better than this. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, I really felt this was something I wanted, to, I really became interested in solving this particular problem and in general, large scale pollution and yeah. climate problems. Yeah. And I thought, but then I thought, well, the best way to do this is through, to do something, you know, that you can either go into government or advocacy or mm-hmm. something like that but i thought well i was really okay at science and or in math and i thought well what can i do in that respect yeah. and i ended up learning how to build computer models to study to simulate air pollution yeah and eventually climate i start building climate models and uh that's what i ended up doing for basically the last 25 years in, at stanford yeah um, now I saw I, I saw that you came up with some of the first models that actually scientifically measured the is it the pollutants is it the carbon is it the well we did uh, I did a lot of work in Los Angeles looking at the impacts of different pollutants on uh, ultraviolet radiation on human health on clouds and I found one of the interesting things I did find with respect to climate was that black carbon which comes from diesel okay. exhaust jet fuel kerosene burning. Uh, biofuel burning, uh, maybe the second leading cause of global warming after carbon dioxide. And because it also affects human health, because particles, I mean, air pollution worldwide kills about nine, uh, four to seven million people every year, including around 65,000 in the U.S. and about 13,000 in California every year. And 90% of these are due to particles. And some of those particles are what, what we call black carbon or mm-hmm. soot. And those particles not only affect human health significantly, but also are the second leading cause of global warming. And so if you actually stop those emissions of those particles, you can actually address two things at the same time. Okay. Which the different carbon carbon dioxide is the main cause of global warming, but it hardly affects human health directly. It has indirect effects on health. Uh, but black carbon actually has direct effects on health and is the second leading cause of warming. Oh my goodness! What were the total world? Was it four million? You said four to seven million. And then, and if you get to to where we are, California, it's thirteen. Thirteen thousand. So it's attributable to, or it's you it, can almost directly say, "Hey, look, this is the cause of it." Based on epidemiological <clears throat> okay. data. So you look at the concentration of pollutant. There are a lot of studies over the last fifty years that have uh, correlated levels of air pollution with health health problems, including mortality. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a a pretty linear correlation between the levels of particulate matter in the atmosphere and the number of people who die on a particular day. And in fact, like 
like if you have a heart attack on a polluted day, you're more likely to die of the heart attack than on a clean day because these particles, they really assault your internal organs and they um, especially get deep into your lungs. They're, there's very small ones past your bronchial tubes yeah. and, and they trigger, they can trigger um, heart attacks and they can actually then they make you weak as well. And some yeah. 5 million of the, sorry, um, 20% of the 4 to 7 million deaths per year worldwide are children under the age of 5 years old. And a lot of them are because their immune systems have been compromised, and so they end up dying of pneumonia or, or something yeah. similar. It, you, do you see it getting um, better or worse? I know, obviously, you're you're working on making it better, but um, um, how, how, have there been any studies that have shown that it's actually improving even slightly? Yeah, well, in some uh, places, like in North America and Europe, <laughs> there's been a reduction of the pollution in general, especially since the 1970s and 80s. Yeah. Uh, but other parts of the world have gotten much worse. And so in, especially in Southeast Asia, China, um, and and places in Africa, and there's some places in South America as well. So, mm -hmm. uh, But there are improvements in some places and technologies. Many of them uh, have lower emissions, but you do have more of the, like more cars. So even though each car is less polluting, you do have more cars. And there are a lot of places in the world where the emission controls aren't so good or people modify their cars or there's not enforcement even though they have regulations. And so in the end, and there's still a lot of places where people burn, uh, cook with wood or dung yeah. or biofuels in their own home. And this is a lot of the problem is, is home heating and cooking with biofuels or coal inside the house. And this is where you get a lot of them in the developing countries in particular. Oh, so um, we, d we discussed before we... we uh we've got on air as I, I said, you know, why is it alternative energy when it actually is actually extremely useful energy? And, and, and why isn't it just being called effective renewable energy? And, you know, if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, so the solutions to these problems are changing our energy infrastructure to clean renewable energy. So basically electrifying everything and providing that electricity with wind and water and solar and other clean renewable energies. And, yeah, people used to call these alternative energies, but now, in fact, I would call them mainstream energies. Yeah. And the coal, oil, and gas should be the alternatives. And <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I agree. Yeah. Um, how, does, but, how do you make that happen? I mean, I, I, that's a big question. But I think if we could touch on it a little bit, like how, how can there be a, a so-called uh, you know, tipping point to where that becomes where that? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the goal is really to transition to 100% clean renewable energy for everything. And so really we want to eliminate all use of all burning. I mean, combustion is the problem because it doesn't matter actually if it's oil or coal or gas or a biofuel even. Mm -hmm. You know, when you burn something, you're going to produce pollution. And I should differentiate between pollution that directly affects human health and carbon dioxide, uh, which has indirect effects on human health through its temperature effect and also is the main leader, leading cause of global warming. But... A lot of people focus on carbon as in terms of global warming, uh, but they ignore air pollution, which is all the other emissions that uh, directly affect your health. My goal is to solve both the climate and the air pollution problem simultaneously, which means you have to eliminate all emissions. Because you can imagine okay. if you just want to solve the global warming problem, you could focus on just carbon emissions, and that doesn't necessarily uh, help you solve the the pollution problem because it allows for the burning of biofuels, for example, which, you know, they grow, the biofuels emit carbon dioxide, mm -hmm. which is a main contributor to global warming. Uh, 
and that, but that carbon, even though it's emitted, uh, it gets taken out of the atmosphere to regrow the biofuels. So they say it's a renewable source. But so even though the carbon for global warming purposes is renewable, all the other pollutants that are emitted when you burn uh, biofuel for heating mm -hmm. or cooking is just pollution that kills people. And so this is totally ignored for the most part So when you're just looking at things from a carbon point of view. So we have to, the, the thing we found is you have to eliminate burning in general. I mean, okay. you have to stop burning everything. And that includes those candles, too. So, <laughs> really? Even if it's light. It's light. Yeah. It's, okay. But, you know, there are electric candles now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're doing, a, as it sounds like, a full circle um, uh, with wind, water, and solar. Is there, is there any one in particular that you f focus on or you have a, a favorite or, or well, you think would have it a was big impact? I don't have a favorite. I mean, I used to... I used to think, oh, wind was the best, you know, like, but... Really? Okay. But that was just because I was working on it the most, and I thought, <laughs> oh, this was fun. Um, but now <laughs> I've come around to think, no, this is, it's not, it's, I mean, they're all, they're all important. So wind and solar, well, I think wind and solar in particular are the, <laughs> are the most abundant. There's actually more solar than wind available. And, but right now, even wind is, is less expensive still, though solar is quickly catching up in some places even cheaper than wind. But I really think you need a balance between solar and wind and also water sources as well, although water is not going to, just not as abundant. I mean, well, water is abundant, like in the oceans, but yeah. in terms of the uh, yeah. energy. How do you harness that? Uh, yeah. yeah. That, well, the types, harvest it even. Yeah, the types of water we consider, well, there's hydroelectric power, which we don't think is going to grow at all or maybe very little if at all. So we're not going to rely much on that because it's hard to approve new dams, and we don't even think we need new dams. We just can use the existing dams more efficiently. And also what's called pumped hydroelectric, where you, you allow water. To, when you have excess electricity, you can pump water up a hill into a reservoir, and then when you need that electricity, you let the water drain down a hill and run through a turbine to generate electricity. So it's a, a way to actually store electricity. So how is that again? It goes through... Well, yeah, so hydro, pumped hydroelectric power, you have two reservoirs, okay. uh, an upper and a lower one. And the lower one could actually be a lake or the ocean. So it's, you really need maybe one additional reservoir. And when you have excess electricity during the day, let's say you have a bunch of wind turbines and you're generating too much wind. Okay. What do you do with it? Usually right now today that extra wind is just wasted or same, same thing with solar. It's just what, what they call shed. But if you actually take that extra electricity and then use it to pump water up and up the hill into this into the upper reservoir so that then you can wait till the wind's not blowing at all and you need or the sun's not shining and then you actually need electricity you can then let the water drain down the hill and run through a turbine that will generate electricity and okay. produce electricity for the grid so this is just a form of storage called pumped hydroelectric okay so and then there are other kinds types of um, water electricity there's tidal power, there's wave power, but these are pretty minor at this point. And even geothermal, if it's, you know, because there are these where you have heat, hot rocks under the ground, the way you get that heat upward is you pump water or you have water go down into one borehole and then uh, it gets heated up by the hot rocks. The water then comes up another borehole and then mm -hmm. the steam from that water is used to run a turbine to generate electricity. So that, that's uh, another form yeah. of electricity that relies on hot rocks and water basically so do you so all all of them are um 
uh, work kind of in concert, you, you you focus on all of them in essence? Well, so we oh. developed these energy plans to try to change the energy infrastructure of states and countries and even cities. And they rely on electrifying everything and then providing the electricity with a combination of wind and water and solar power. So we look at mixes and depending on the location, a different mix of these of wind and water and solar. And so places that are like in the let's say in the desert region, you're going to have mm-hmm. more sunlight, maybe less wind. Places in northern latitudes where it gets pretty windy, uh, then you'll have more wind, less solar. And other places are really dominated by hydroelectric power. Yeah, yeah. Um, You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Altruism in Medicine Institute. The Altruism in Medicine Institute is a nonprofit organization based in Phoenix, Arizona, that seeks to understand, through scientific research, how altruism and positive mental health states bring out a good mental and physical health. Founded by Dr. Barry Curzon, one of the Dalai Lama's personal physicians, the Institute wants altruism taught as a core practice in medical school. The goal is to help individuals learn to control destructive emotions, such as anger, so they can lead healthier and happier lives to learn more or donate visit altruismmedicine.org now back to the modern architect we're talking today with mark jacobson professor of civil and environmental engineering at stanford university and director of atmosphere and energy program for more information please visit profiles.stanford.edu slash mark jacobson and the solutions Mark, what uh, what type of uh, myths and say all those the three main facets the water, solar, <clears throat> excuse me, water, solar, and hydro, uh, uh, wind. Wind. Uh, what type of uh, myths are kind of around, floating around that you hear fairly frequently about you know those uh, those energy sources? Oh yeah, there are lots of myths. <laughs> about, about. <laughs> Unfortunately, but yeah, share if you don't mind sharing with us some of them that, that uh, you can kind of debunk. Right? You know, well, all of them yeah. have s- some slight basis in reality, but they're they're exaggerated. So, for example, I'd say the number one that you can probably all already guess is that oh, wind turbines kill birds. <laughs> okay, so true, they do kill birds, and but the question is how many birds? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I read that it's it's significantly less than thought, yeah, or known. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well. So this is a reason that um, a lot of people who are against wind farms will use to argue that we shouldn't have them in certain places or we should limit them. Yeah. But, you know, the, so just some facts. Um, in the United States, according to the American Bird Conservancy and the Fish and Wildlife Service, mm-hmm. there are about 400 to 500,000, maybe up to 600,000 birds in the United States killed per year. Sounds okay. like a lot. But, okay, in comparison to what? Well, okay, so... Yeah, in comparison to... <laughs> Well, yeah. so communication towers, about 10 to 50 million birds per year. Is that right? Yeah. Um, buildings, about oh 1 goodness. billion birds per year. Cats, 3 billion <laughs> birds per year. <laughs> even the cats are in there. <laughs> wow. that's. Um, but even more relevant is <laughs> the. Okay, how does it compare to other energy okay. sources? Yeah. So there was a study done in 2009 that looked at this and directly compared the wind turbine kills per unit energy versus coal, gas, oil, and even nuclear power. And compared to coal and gas, it was one-tenth, wind was one-tenth the number of bird kills per unit energy uh, compared to coal and gas. And the reason is because those energies 
kill birds in different ways. They kill them by destroying their habitat mm -hmm. through mining and destruction um, and also through the air pollution they create and also through the buildings, which are really big cause of bird deaths. Was it and, one million for the buildings? And well, oh no, for the buildings, there was one billion birds one billion. In, the, in the United States each year. And compared to 400,000 to 600,000 yeah. by wind turbines. Um, for nuclear power, is even nuclear power even had uh, slightly higher bird kills than uh, wind. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm laughing not because it's funny, but just yeah, it's, that's well, such a significant, that's a big myth. Well, because you yeah. never hear about it. You never yeah. hear about all these other energy that's sources. That's why you're partially why you're here. You let everyone know. You know get the, yeah, and uh, these are statistics yeah. that are available. It's not like I'm just making up statistics. These yeah. are, you can anybody can find these. Things. Yeah. These On the subject of nuclear power, you know, my ignorance is that it, it's it seems clean, but it seems kind of wrong. Uh, but what 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 are the scientifically the results of it, or what are the challenges of it, and, or problems even? Well, the main issues. Um, well, right now, I mean, uh, the main issues are there's weapons proliferation is one issue that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that it's a there's robust evidence and high agreement that weapons proliferation due to nuclear energy proliferation is an issue. Really? Okay. Several countries of the world have developed nuclear weapons secretly under the guise of civilian nuclear energy programs. Um, there's waste issues. We don't know where to put the radioactive waste. Uh, there's mining issues. There's meltdown issues. There have been several meltdowns that have rendered uh, large areas of land uninhabitable. And, uh, and there's cancer risk associated with it, although you know there's a lot of dispute about what those cancer numbers are. Uh, but the practical issue is that it... It takes so long to put up a nuclear power plant, uh, to get permitting, to find a site to put a nuke plant, to get permitting for it, to get not only the site permit, but the construction permit. And then the construction time itself, it's between 10 and 19 years on average in the United States versus two to five years for a solar or wind farm. And while you're waiting around for that, uh, nuclear plant to be put up, you're basically emitting the background electric power grid. So this is why it's not clean. Because you have to wait so long to put it up that you're basically polluting through coal plants and gas plants while mm -hmm. you're waiting for these to be put up. But plus, they're so expensive now that they're not even being built. And even the companies, the main company, companies that uh, were building them, well, the Westinghouse and Toshiba on them, but they both went bankrupt because it's so expensive. And the plants, even the one or two plants that are being built in the United States, I mean, they've been faced huge delays and it's just not a you have to do this on such a large scale if you want to change the energy infrastructure and you can't even get one plant in in any reasonable time and you need if you need like 15 to 17,000 nuclear power plants worldwide to solve the global climate problem and we only have we have 400 today and they're declining in number they're not increasing so even if you increase to 800 not only will you increase weapons proliferation risk and where do you put all the waste and it'll, they'll never be put up, you'll never solve the problem. Because if it takes 10 to 19 years and we need 80% reduction of emissions by 2030, which is 13 yeah. years away, you can't even get one plan up in 13 years. Yeah. So it makes no sense whatsoever to even invest in nuclear for solving the climate problem. Yeah. So again we kind of go back to what we first started talking about is is there do you see or you have you experienced a tipping point to where these 
uh, wind, water, solar are like, this is what we're going to do, and we're really going to go, we're going to move forward with this for the next 100 years. Is there is there a, well, a shift? Yeah, there's a lot of momentum building okay. um, in policy-wise and just in the general public. I mean, there's... Uh, there are 90, over 90 companies now, including most of the major companies, uh, including Walmart and Coca-Cola and Goldman Sachs and uh, yeah. and Google and others that have committed to 100% clean renewable energy. This is 100% for their own use. Uh, there are 27 cities in North America that have committed most recently, a few weeks ago, Atlanta, Georgia, and just before that, Portland, Oregon. But even cities like uh, Moab, Utah, uh, Abita Springs, Louisiana, Boone, North Carolina, Silva, North Carolina. I mean, places you wouldn't think have committed to 100% yeah. clean renewable energy. I'll give you an example. In Boone, North Carolina, there was a city council vote 5-0 to zero to adopt 100% clean renewable energy. There is, at the federal level, surprisingly, even though these won't pass, there's, there are two resolutions, one in the House, House Resolution 540, which calls for the United States to go to 100% clean renewable energy. Uh, and there's an equivalent one in the Senate that uh, for the U.S. to go to 100%. And then there was recently, just uh, two or three weeks ago, a Senate bill proposed by Merkley from Oregon and Sanders as well uh, for the United States to go to 100% clean renewable energy. And at state levels, there are several states, including California and, and New York, and uh, Massachusetts and Hawaii that have proposed uh, between fifty to one hundred percent clean renewable energy. Yeah. So is is the will that the funding for that be uh, government, private, both? Well, the way to get there uh, revolt, uh, is mostly free market um, in the sense, although you know it definitely helps to have subsidies. And there are federal subsidies existing already for wind and solar, but also for. Uh, Fossil fuels have lots of subsidies, too. So these subsidies that the clean renewable energy gets are really just what are, what you call leveling the playing field. Uh, but the cost right now, the unsubsidized cost of wind is the cheapest form of electricity right now okay. in the, in the so United States. So wind is the least expensive. Right Across now. the United States for okay. new electricity in the U.S., it's half the cost of new gas. Uh, Utility-scale solar, which is large-scale solar, is the second cheapest just a little less than gas, and then gas is third. Um, but, you know, and so, in fact, last year and the year before, about 70% of all new electricity in the United States was wind and solar and some other renewables. But we need 100% each year to really replace everything within, you know, 15 to 30 years. Yeah. So uh, there's a long way to go. I mean, U.S.-wide, we only have, you know, on the order of... Uh, 12 percent you know renewable energy in the portfolio most half of that's hydroelectric power um, so it's just so far to go that you know we, we can't have like every year 30 percent of the new energy coming from gas or yeah. something dirty so what what do you, what have you seen that uh, wh why are the com the cities that you're talking about or the companies even the companies that you've referenced why are they so um um, okay, well, you could say, why do they get it and why do others don't? And make it simplistic. But Yeah. Well, the companies, are, I think they see it from two points of view. One is they see it as actually is cheaper. I mean, it's for a company, for example, to buy a wind farm in Iowa where it's dirt cheap for wind and to run a data center, that's a long-term. They know this, right? the, there's no fuel cost for wind and solar, whereas fuel cost for gas and coal 
are finite and keep going up and up and up each year because you have higher labor costs and et cetera. So they know that you're going to have stable energy prices from wind and solar. And so they they just see this as a, as from an economic point of view, and it's cheap. It's the cheapest form of electricity right now, new form, yeah. and it can be dedicated to their plant. So they see this as a just economically, this is something that's good. The other thing they do see it as a PR campaign because most people in the United States, despite party differences, are in favor of clean renewable energy. And I'll just give you results of a couple of polls. Yeah, um, there have been polls, but one that was for like seven different states, including. California, New York, North Carolina, Iowa, um, Oregon, Colorado, and another one or two, where they found that around 65% of the people want 100%, strongly want 100% clean renewable energy, and another around 18% are somewhat in favor of it. So we're talking, you know, 83%, maybe 84% are somewhat or strongly in favor of 100% clean renewable energy. And that means only like, you know, 15, 16% are against it. So <laughs> so most people actually want it. Yeah. And I think companies I'm realize this. i to see this. the disconnect. Where's the disconnect to, to yeah. just say, let's go with this in yeah. mass? Well, and you can think even in what we call red states that are mostly Republican, uh, that's where the, most of the wind is. For example, nine out of the oh, 10 right? windiest, wow. yeah, the, uh, states with the highest inv- investment in wind are red states because that's where the wind is. So they see this as an economic opportunity too. And most people are not stupid. So they, they'll, they'll, even yeah. though they might not want to admit that they like wind. Yeah, it's, it's right there. Okay. So so you have you have a shift coming, but it hasn't reached a tipping point yet. Correct. There's, okay. There is, um, well, there's definitely momentum in the right direction and things are growing, but we, you know, we've got to ramp it up another order of magnitude to two orders of yeah. magnitude. How do you, how do you see in your opinion, in your experience, how do you think, you know, you do ramp that up? Well, I think information is very key to all this. Most people are not aware of what's possible or what we need. They don't know the numbers of, you know, how much we need, how fast we need it and what can we do? I mean, in their own home, I mean, people who own a home, you know, they can transition and reduce their bills across the board by electrifying. Yeah. So, Getting an electric car, for example, instead of a gasoline or diesel car, I mean, they'll save in fuel costs alone. They'll save $20,000 in fuel costs over 15 years, driving 15,000 miles per year. That's because, like, if the price of gasoline is $4 a gallon versus it's less than $1.80 a gallon for electricity to drive a car for the same distance. So you're going to save, you know, $20,000. So even if the car is $5,000 more, which it shouldn't be with this uh, available yeah. subsidies that are available right now for electric cars, you're going to save a huge amount of money. But you can also change, you can electrify your heating, use heat pumps instead of gas heaters, uh, your stove, an induction cooktop stove. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got an induction cooktop stove. It takes like six seconds to boil water. Oh. I mean, it's an, whereas, you know, that's what people complain about the old electric stoves that were just what are called resistance electricity stoves. People didn't like them because, you know, they were slow to heat up yeah. and uh, they didn't cook as well as gas. Uh, but induction cooktops are amazing. I mean, just like it, it, you could put your hand on the stove also and you don't even feel it. So it's that's also yeah you know actually that I have seen your house I've actually been in through it before it was built with bone structure when they they had the tour so you your entire house I mean have you ever what if you quantify the bill that it would be versus a traditional what is 
a significant uh, reduction in oh i did, well i think in terms of the actual construction cost it's a, it's the same i mean okay. it's not you're not going to save money the appliances are a similar cost okay what you do uh, save is energy well especially if you put solar on your roof then you end up you know there's a short term capital investment or you can get a lease because a lot of companies lease solar. Uh, but let's say you buy it, there's a short-term capital investment, but it pays off after around eight years, and then, but it's warranted for uh, up to 30 years, or either 25 or 30 years. And as a result, you're going to make money after that, and you're going to pay for all your electricity. So, I mean, I'll have, everything in my house is electric, including the cars and appliances. I have no gas going out to the property. By the way, I saved around somewhere between four to $6,000 in gas hookup fees alone. The utility, PG&E, was going to charge hookup fees just to s- shovel paper yeah. paper through their different departments <laughs> and, but then, and send me a bill for four to $6,000. But I was able to avoid that. I still had to pay the hookup fee for electricity, which yeah. you'd have to do anyway. Yeah. Um, but you save, so you don't have any pipes in your home. And then, uh, but you, all, since all the electricity is coming from solar on the roof, then I don't have to ever pay another bill again. That's awesome. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Jenny's Light is an organization dedicated to improving and saving lives by increasing the awareness to all perinatal disorders, including postpartum depression. Jenny's Light provides a variety of resources and support from online guidelines to obtaining help to working towards to pass legislation that will make it easier for new mothers to obtain treatment. If you'd like to donate to Jenny's Light, please visit www.jennyslight.org. And now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Mark Jacobson, Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Stanford University, Director of the Atmosphere and Energy Program. For more information, please visit profiles.stanford.edu slash mark-jacobson and the solutions project.org so um mark segueing in from your the residents even for a commercial building they're they're likely to experience perhaps uh, even greater savings and, and uh, uh, a greater return on their investment by operating a new building specifically um like you did it with your residents. Yeah. yeah, well, having gone through this process, actually this is the second time I've done this, although this first time was not with a new home, but with a retrofit, or with an existing home that I that had a lot of gas in it, and I just went through each of the appliances and changed it out to electrify. And now I've done this a second time. I mean, it's something that anybody can do. I mean, clearly... You know, if I can do it, anybody, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, it's it's like, not always so easy. But I know. It's, it, yeah, it's yeah. easy to say after the fact. But yeah, it, yeah. No. And, you're, and you're talking about making information and making people aware of it. Right. Um, but, yeah, and it's all, it's all information. I mean, sure, if I, you know, it takes, there's a startup time, uh, but it, but there are people now who can advise you how to do this. If, yeah. If you don't want to uh, go through and spend the time. Um, but, you know, once you kind of figure it out, it's not rocket science it's pretty straightforward yeah i mean it does require of course if you are on limited income you know and you don't and there's some things aren't easy to, you know to get loans for um then yeah that's when you'd that's when you're um you're going to hesitate to do it uh 
But, you know, if you are able to, it's definitely worthwhile, and because it's especially from a long-term investment point of view, but also your health. I mean, you eliminate all the emissions and pollution in your own home, which makes it safer for your children. I mean, you don't have, you know, exhaust when you, every time you start a car, you know, there's exhaust that goes into your house under the door. That's right, yeah. And stays in the garage, and you breathe it. When you turn on a gas stove, and you're, you, you know, you get pollution. You get oxides of nitrogen being created from burning nitrogen yeah. and oxygen. Yeah. So I've read before, and I don't know if this, the, the numbers are correct, but the indoor air pollution is significantly greater than sometimes even the outdoor. Well, especially, yeah. I mean, that's where people spend most of their time is, is indoors. And when you have things burning indoors, you're going to create pollution for sure. Uh, so that's one thing you want to eliminate. But the other thing is just yeah, you reduce your energy costs, but you're also helping. Uh, you're helping the, with the climate as well mm -hmm. because you're not creating greenhouse gases that have long that live a long time in the atmosphere. The air pollutants that hurt your health are generally short-lived pollutants. They yeah. don't last very long, but the climate pollutants are the long-lived ones. Yeah, and uh, for the most part. Yeah, but, uh, I'm curious as to to um, you put a tremendous amount of time, effort, energy, and and, and expertise and. Uh, the utility companies themselves, how how vested are they in these these? Uh, they're not really new, but you know the, the, these uh, more efficient and effective ways of producing energy and uh, reducing, if not eliminating, uh, much of the pollutions. How how committed are they? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, so utilities are like people; they're all sorts of types. Um, <laughs> they're so some are more progressive than others in terms of trying to change to renewable energy, but some are just really stuck in the in those old yeah. Iron Age. Is it a selfish thing? Is it a profit uh, motive? Oh, I think, well, by nature, I think they're very conservative in the sense they don't want to change anything because they have a certain yeah, profit structure okay. that's been set up, and they don't want to disturb that, and they th they consider any change a threat. Uh, so, But uh, some of them do see that the writing's on the wall, so they'd rather get ahead of the game than, yeah. than to... Uh, resist. Um, but I think if you look at a spectrum of utilities across the United States, you're going to find some that are just, there's actually, you can look at a ranking of them in terms of how renew, what how many renewables they have in their portfolio, okay. for example. And that's pretty much an indication of where they stand in terms of wanting to change. Yeah. Are there <laughs> so, more so now so than, than, say, five years ago? Yeah, there has to be because there's okay. been a growth of renewables, and they have to be controlled by some utility yeah. or another. So they have to be controlled by one of them. Yeah, a hundred percent. Though, so literally, you you have um, uh, the knowledge, the technology, the the, the mechanics to if if. Uh, I'll reach really far. Let's say PG&E says, yes, we want to go ahead with a major wind, which I know they have some, but really major, uh, all three facets, the wind, the water, the solar. We're really going to put 30%, um, 40% of our portfolio into this for the next 10, 15 years. Do you see that potentially happening? Or am um, I really reaching? I mean, they could do it. But I think it's more likely that because they are kind of, controlled by the state. I mean, the state does... Yeah. In California, okay. they have... The yeah. state kind I'm of bringing a hypothetical into it, but you know, I thought it was worth a shot to say, how, how, how can we, uh, we we do this? We know... Uh, well, yeah, so I think there are two ways. One is, I mean, they could change on their own. They could bring it up from internally, say, look, this is where we want to go, and then try to get approvals to do that. Um, or it could be... They could just be regulated into doing it. So that's another way. Okay. Or they can 
you know, if enough people are buying solar on their own roof and com companies are doing the same thing and uh, they, they might have to shift their business model because their, you know, the revenues are going to, from from individual residences and businesses are going to decline. And so they have to make that up another way. But, I mean, I think, you know, I think I would advise any long-term investor, you know, that, mm -hmm. I mean, the writing is on the wall that we have to go. We can't stay with fossil fuels. So, so we're going to have to change. The question is, when is it going to be? When is the change yeah, going to occur? Yeah, it's that. It's that big when. I'm, mm. I'll bring something into it that it's. Um, we'll try. We'll try to tie in the relevancy to this. And it was this. I, my own experience was years ago. Bart had a, a camp advertising campaign, and I'll mention names here. Um, it, they used uh, Maxwell House. I don't know if you ever heard of that old coffee. The, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's, it's a store bought, and it had it was billboard blasted everywhere. Every Bart station it, on the elevators is everywhere. It says we invented the coffee coffee a um, hundred years ago, and I thought, oh, that's neat. And it was on elevator, even on the, even on the stairs. It was just everywhere. And I thought of it and saying, you know what? They were there a hundred years, and I know that they're they're trying to kind of poke it. Uh, you know, Starbucks or any of the other coffee houses, I know that's what they're trying to do, saying, hey, we were here 100 years ago, and I thought, but you didn't do anything about it. Or you did, and you may have your marketplace in the stores for coffee, but now you have a number of coffee houses. Um, it's where people go. They don't probably buy your particular brand for whatever reason, but that you know that was their slight was, we did it 100 years ago, nanny, nanny, nanny. And, and it was like, well, wait a minute. these wouldn't, It actually would have sounded pretty neat is, hey, you guys want to go to a Maxwell house? They So they actually had a name that could have worked, but they didn't. And I'm wondering if the utility companies are kind of in the same bag where it's like hey we've been around a long time and somebody some entities start coming along to where these this 100 percent renewable is going to be like wow we missed it yeah uh, yeah it, i i think it's the issue is with the utilities they just are so slow to change they don't they're afraid to move forward more than a half a step at a time so. <laughs> half a step? Oh, a step is bad. Yeah, even a step is bad. Yeah, but about a half a step. Wow, I haven't heard that one. So, mm -hmm. so they're they're slow to adopt that. And you, in the meantime, you keep being more effective with, um, as I say before we interviewed, I was looking for you, and it's like it just page after page after page of of just not just obviously you and your, the work that you're doing, but evidence that these technology, this technology, and these solutions exist and would be very effective. Yeah, I th we think so. I mean, we we've been analyzing for many years now the technical and economic feasibility of 100% clean renewable energy by state, by country, and we find that it is feasible. It's technically and economically feasible. Feasible. Whether it's socially and politically acceptable is a different question. Yeah. Um, and that's. I mean, I think if it, you know, if, if everybody wanted to change, including you know people who are in in the government, then. It would be straightforward. We would we would yeah. say this is what we're going to do. We would lay out okay. This is where all the wind farms and solar farms are going to be. This is where all the transmission is going to be. These are uh, how many cars we're going to need, and these uh, the, you know this is, these are places where they'll be built. We can lay it all out and have uh, companies competitively bid to do these things. Yeah, but. The thing is, we don't have agreement among, you know, first of all, there are people who think we should use different types of energy that, uh, you know, there's tied either financially tied into some type of energy or they're uh, just have their favorite. So they don't, you know, they'll, they won't uh, put their full support behind just clean renewable energy. Yeah. And then there are other people who are tied with the fossil fuel industry, don't want to get rid of those. And then there are 
uh, just people who like to say no just because they don't like to say yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Okay. So th- it brings it back to kind of looking for trying to uh, really re- searching for a theme here. Is, is there a, an economic viability to do? I think there is, but can it pay back to uh, investor groups or, or? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, it's so, especially in the long term, I mean, you, uh, yeah, you look at the the fact that there's zero fuel cost is really critical. Um, you can, in fact, you can look at statistics in the, there was like the 10 states with the highest fraction of electricity from wind in the United States. The price of electricity in those states over a, I think it was like an eight-year period, uh, hardly changed at all. But in all the other states, it went up about 7%. So this is an example of how the fact that you had zero fuel costs resulted in no increase in the price of energy. Yeah. So I, I'm going to quote this piece here that the um, in the Scientific American, um, you, had, you can power the world for all purposes with wind, water, and sunlight. Um, it, it is absolutely possible right now to have 100% clean energy roadmap. You have 100% clean energy roadmaps for 100% of the people. It's, so it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have plans. That's so awesome. No, I mean, it really is. So you have it. You have the plans. You it's And, you, and you're even refining the plans. Yeah. We've developed plans for each of the 50 United States and 139 countries of the world, representing more than 99% of the emissions. And yeah, these are plans that are laid out and, you know, endpoints, basically. They don't have the pathway of how each country, because there's a lot of politics in each country, how they're going to yeah. get there. But it says this is what the endpoint can look like, and this is what how many wind farms you need, how many solar panels you need, how much land you need, uh, the, what would be the cost of energy. Here's your air pollution benefit. Here's your uh, climate benefit. Here's your job creation versus loss. Oh, yeah, the job creation. Yeah, let's touch on that a little bit. Now, with the job creation, is it is it, I would think initially especially be quite significant. Well, we find in the United States we'd create 2 million net long-term full-time jobs versus lost and worldwide around 24 million net long-term permanent or full-time jobs. And uh, these are due to, yeah, the fact that you have to build a lot of infrastructure and that building is going to take decades, but also you have to run these operations and you have a lot of new jobs too in industries that uh, you didn't have before. That's pretty significant. Have you ever done it in a comparison to the way it exists now? Yeah. So that those numbers are jobs created minus jobs lost. So we account for the loss of jobs in the fossil fuel and nuclear industries. And, uh, yeah, so these are in, increasing, net increases in the number of jobs. Yeah. So now you, you, you do the studies. You've had, you have the plans. I'm sure, as I said, you, you're refining these plans. Um, are there any individuals if you're at liberty to say that are like hey they're they're really behind us i know you have the solutions group any people that are not just behind you um in their in their actions but actually they're they're financially committed as well to to these well i would i mean i don't don't, or or entities yeah yeah we don't take any funds ourselves but in terms of there are all these companies that have committed to it to there are over 90 companies have committed to 100 percent clean renewable energy and U.S. based or worldwide? Worldwide. Okay. And these are, I think you can go to a website, re100.org, and you can see the list of companies. There are 27 cities. Um, there are many, I mean, there are countless number of individuals who are, are, are supportive 
both in their activism and also just supportive passively. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of politicians who are supportive of this now, growing number, and it's almost like a it's a domino effect. We, we've gotten lots of support. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the Solutions Project. You know, Solutions Project is a nonprofit that I uh, co-founded along with um, three others: uh, Mark Ruffalo, who's an actor and act- activist, and uh, uh, Marco Craples, who's um, he is a business person. He works at Tesla now, and and also Josh Fox, who's a filmmaker. And uh, it's a nonprofit. We started to really t- take our energy plans that we'd been developing at Stanford and try to engage the public and policymakers. So it's really combining science and business and culture to try to reach out to lots of people. Because as a scientist, nobody wants to listen to me, but a lot of people <laughs> listen to Mark Ruffin. Believe it, we do. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got the well, scientist. Uh, anyway, we can go into that, but you carry on, please. Well, yeah, we... But, I guess the number of people who listen are not as, not as great as like an, an actor or something like that. But, but you got the real numbers, though. Yeah, yeah, no, you got I the think real the credibility. I, I think we have the credibility, but not the not the number of people who are paying yeah, attention. Yeah, okay. There's a, there's a little bit of hype that, that has to go on. Okay. Yeah. So, but it helps to you know if you work with people who are reached to different communities. Oh yeah. In business communities and uh, cultural communities, especially and. So this has been really great because we've also recruited other um, people with big voices. Bill Nye, the science guy, has oh, yeah. been yeah. behind us. Leo DiCaprio has been uh, been presenting our work to different places. Yeah. And, um, and lots of... So you get movement. Yeah. Significant yeah. movement. Well, plus just you know, tens of thousands of people behind it on the ground. And lots of nonprofits. I mean, the Sierra Club has a whole... A whole army now who are dedicated to going to 100% clean renewable energy cities, and but most of the nonprofits, in fact, I would say that in environmental nonprofits are really uh, f- focused or either or helping out in this 100% renewable energy eff- effort. Uh, in fact, in the last presidential election, we had all three Democratic presidential candidates, including Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders were supportive of 100% clean renewable energy and that and it was part of the whole democratic platform itself um, it got into the platform and was then written into other laws that have been proposed in congress but haven't passed yeah but it's it's still it's still uh, it's vital it's vital mark it's been terrific mm-hmm. having you here today we're truly honored you've been our guest thank you very much yeah thank you so much for having me on the show thank you we hope you considering visiting with us again we really do Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Diora. Our guest today has been Mark Jacobson, Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering and Director of Atmosphere and Energy Program at Stanford University. Mark also is engaged in the Solutions Project, which advocates a transition to a 100% renewable energy world. For more information, profiles.stanford.edu slash mark hyphen jacobson and the solutions project.org join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect engineer influencer or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities communities and lives the modern architect is recorded at stanford university studios in palo alto california and it's a production of kzsu radio the recording engineer and production manager is akshay jaggi The assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. The executive producer and host of The Modern Architect 
is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Tune in again next week for another episode of The Modern Architect. Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com works with architects from architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products for their building projects. We at KZSU thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.